Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 272. Before jumping into the fall season of college golf and catching up, and in some cases, introducing you, the listeners, to more collegiate players, I wanted to reflect back to my time in New Jersey and bring you a special episode featuring a couple guys that were instrumental to the successful staging of the 122nd United States Amateur. My guests on this episode served as the championship co-chairs for the Ridgewood Country Club at this year's USAM. Now, if you follow the back of the range and all of my travels to amateur and collegiate golf tournaments all over the country, you know that this next statement isn't said lightly. Kevin Shea and Mike Policano just might be the best hosts I've encountered at an amateur golf championship. My first interaction with the chairman of fun, more on that later, was at the USAM preview event about a month ago. Fantastic two-day event where I was able to play both courses at Arcola and Ridgewood, and while hacking my ball out of the rough more times than I would like to admit was fun, the true enjoyment was experiencing the unique culture at Ridgewood. I mentioned this a bit in the intro to Max Moldovan's episode. The USAM you know, felt like a USAM. Then at night when the bar was rocking, it felt like a member-member. And then on Sunday, as the final match came down the stretch, it had the energy of a major championship. Now, you may be thinking to yourselves right about now, you know, what kind of USGA playing records do Mike and Kevin possess? Yeah, that didn't really get brought up. So this episode won't be like most of the other episodes here at the back of the range, but it offers a unique perspective from two guys, along with an army of staff and volunteers, that spearheaded a collective effort to host a major amateur championship. Now, you may never host a U.S. amateur at your club, but if you're a member at a club, you certainly have a member guest, right? Well, that's your major, where you show off your club to guests. And you just might pick up some tips and ideas by listening to this episode with Mike and Kevin. Even if you aren't a member at a club, you might have been asked to help organize a charity scramble tournament. Or maybe you're in charge of putting together next summer's golf trip with your buddies. Whatever the case may be, these two are excellent hosts, funnier than hell, and gave so much of themselves to make everyone at the U.S. Amateur feel welcomed. And for that, I asked them to join me at the back of the range. As you can imagine, they were running around all week making sure that everyone was having a great time. So the only time that we could find to get together to chat was the morning before the afternoon semifinal matches. That being said, we didn't break down the matches or talk about the finals. We just talked about their experience as co-chairs for the week. Before getting into this episode with Kevin and Mike, as I do in just about every single episode, make sure you are following on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. In the last week or so, I've been pretty quiet on social media. I took a little vacation where I didn't even bring a camera with me, which was different, but very enjoyable. But the fall season of college golf has started, and I'm heading out on the road. And if you can believe it, this season, that's fall of 2022, spring of 2023, and next summer will be the busiest season to date for me here at the back of the range. 
If you've ever thought to yourself, does Ben ever go home? Well, this season you might think, does Ben even have a home? So thebackoftherange.com has all the links you need to follow on social. That's where you can find your merch. That's where you can find the new Imperial hat collection. It's all there. Let's get the episode started. Kevin, Mike, thanks for joining me here at the Back of the Range. How are you? Uh, good morning. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, we are we're actually here talking the uh, the morning before the semifinal matches. Um, had a variety of guests here at the back of the range. Uh, obviously, some of the best amateurs in the world, coaches, um, Walker Cup captains, USG officials. But this is the very first time that the back of the range has welcomed in championship coaches of a USGA championship. Um, Unfortunately, this is just an audio medium, so the listeners will not be able to see the diamond and gold and diamond and gold encrusted thrones you're sitting on. So, unfortunately, we won't have that. Um, before we talk about just the history of Ridgewood, your involvement with this championship, as I said, morning before the afternoon semifinal matches, Mike, um, how's your? Uh, how are you doing this morning? Seeing what's going to happen this afternoon with uh, the best uh, the, these final four guys. Uh, I'm doing great. I walked in this morning. Did what I do every morning, said, good morning, everyone. It's going to be a great day. We're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to kill it again today. Kevin, you, uh, you've you been here all week. Both of you have been just, just incredible hosts of this championship. Um, your feelings on, on just, you know, this today. I mean, what's lying ahead for us in just a few short hours? What two winners are going to punch a ticket to the U.S. Open and, and the finals of the U.S. Amateur? Well, it's uh, a lot of happiness, joy to see it all come through, but there's also some kind of a uh, little bit of sadness in the background because you just don't want it to end. It's been so much fun. It's been so exciting to have all these families here together and, um, you know, to just see our team, especially our employees, which we're so proud of, our staff, our managers, and to see everybody together hanging in one place has just been the thrill. Mike and I were talking about you know, the bar scene last night, seeing our Greens and Grounds crew, our caddies, USJ officials, the public members all mingling together. It's been unusual and phenomenal at the same time. Typically here at the, at the back of the range, I mean, I always like to give the guest, um, give guests the opportunity to say how they actually got into the game of golf. You know, where did this all start for you? Um you know, Mike, when did you first find the game of golf to, and found it, your way to it? I found the game of golf when I was working in an office, and I grew up in Brooklyn, not a lot of golf in Brooklyn, and I noticed people were leaving early after lunch, and I said, where are all these people going? They said, I'm going to play golf. And I said, um, really? He said, um, well, you know what? Maybe I should try that because it can't be worse than sitting in the office, and that's literally how I started to golf. But I didn't take it seriously until my son started golfing and he was like six or seven. And then by the time he was eight, for some reason, um, he played well and then started playing and playing in AJGA championships, played in with um, Sean O'Hare, Camila Vegas, and then played in college. And so I started getting more and more interested as he started getting better and I started playing, but I didn't get better. <laughs> You're still on that chase, right? I, there's no chase. You, you know, I'm not chase what you can't get. <laughs> Kevin, when did you first start playing golf? Well, my uh, my grandfather and uh, my mother taught me how to play golf. My mom's 85, and she's still passionate about the game. She volunteered this week. I couldn't have her out in the heat, but she was here. And uh, she still plays a lot of golf and is uh, my inspiration, along with my wife. 
I played, my wife played golf for her first time on her honeymoon in Ireland. I snuck my clubs in the bag and uh, she's been golfing ever since. But also uh, the members at Ridgewood, my brothers and I were shoeshine boys in the locker room and caddied. And uh, I got my first set of clubs from one of the assistant professionals and the members encouraged us to go out and play a couple holes before we went home at night to do our homework and fell in love with Ridgewood and golf uh, back then, a long time ago. One of the things that, um, you know, I was here for the preview event about a month ago, I guess, three weeks ago, and you know, first meeting you two, and obviously you've continued this narrative um, in this, what you've communicated the entire week is it's all about fun here. And I know a lot of people, when they think of a USGA championship, it's very serious and, and there's there's a lot on the line. Um, but that has been the theme that I've heard out of both of you and everyone here nonstop. Are you having fun? Every time I see you, Mike, hey, you having fun. You having fun. Everything's about fun. I know that's not a buzzword that you just thought you'd adopt for the U.S. Amateur. It feels that Ridgewood is all about fun all the time. Can you maybe talk about that part of the culture of Ridgewood and how that infused itself into this club. Yeah, I think it would be good, Kevin, if you could go through what our pillars were. And we did, we had these pillars, which are a function of what the club's about. Right. But we really came down and told everybody, this is what it is. And you know, yeah, take us through that. Mike has an enormous amount of uh, skills in advising companies. And I had was blessed to have a four-decade career at Goldman Sachs. Mike and I started with principles first. And we said the number one thing is safety. We want a championship to be a safe one. Sure. And that, unfortunately, in the world we're in, involves a lot of different things besides thunderstorms. Yeah. This, but the other big thing was fun. We wanted to have everyone, and we, we kind of flipped the, the traditional triangle upside down and focused on the players, their families, and our employees, and everybody else kind of followed suit. And we tried to treat everybody equally. And we thought if it was, if we did that, it would be the, a less stressful championship where people could, um, it would bring out the best in their game, but also the best in their character and humanity. And that's important yeah. to Mike and I. And I think the third thing, that was all then to lead to to put on a world-class championship. Yeah. And sometimes people don't see fun and world-class championship in the same sentence. Yes. And so we were like, well, yeah, we're going to put together a world-class championship. We're going to kill it. Our staff's going to kill it. Our staff's been amazing here. You've seen them through here. It's, there's nothing they won't do. And Robbie Z came by, and we were talking about, well, what do we need for the final thing? And I said, well, why don't you just talk to Aldo? He goes, Aldo's amazing. Aldo's the head of all the food and beverage in the clubhouse. He goes, every time I ask Alvarez, Alzo, Aldo for something, he says – Yes, no problem. We'll do that. Always with a smile. Doesn't matter what the request is. And, you know, when you have a staff like that, it just goes. And with that's everything. Yeah. And we felt the way, you know, the golf course, most championship uh, host committees worry about their golf course. Mike and I never, ever worried about the golf course. Between Todd Rash, our our, our, our team, uh, Rocco, the whole crew, they're incredible. Their volunteers they brought have so much skill. And of course, Gil Hans has always behind, been the wind in our sails from an architectural right. standpoint. Dave Reisner is probably the king of fun and the most innovative professional 
in in, yeah. in the industry. And the, probably the best hair I've ever seen on a golf professional in my he, life. Well, That's yeah, why he never wears a hat. A pro with world-class hair that matches a world-class championship. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I mean, it's the best I've ever seen. I mean, to put a hat on that guy is just a disservice. That's a crime. You yeah, don't, yeah, we, yeah, we don't do that. that. It's true that Mike did ask him for his barber before the championship. It though. didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> no, uh, no. It didn't work for you either, Ben. No, no. I, no But I, just, I, just back to the golf course for a moment. Yeah. Um, I was driving around with Fred Propol, uh, the incoming president of the U.S. SGA and we sat in the cart watching one of the playoff holes and he was just commenting about the course and he said how much time do you and Kevin spend with you know, Todd the superintendent and he said we didn't spend any time with Todd we had we did one thing we got his budget we looked at it we said great do you need anything else he said no I said if you need anything let us know he goes that's it and I said listen Kevin and I look at it this way we have professionals running the club. Dave Reasoner, the golf pro. We got Aldo Sella, the food and beverage manager. We got Todd Rash, the superintendent. We have Allison doing the support uh, with all the systems and accounting for us. And we always looked and said, if we get involved, all we're going to do is stunt their creativity. Yeah. And we want people to be as creative and think out of the box. And if you put in rules, you prevent people from really thinking and solving problems that occur. Because they're on the front line. We're not there. We want to empower them to make the decisions that they think is the best and then support them with those decisions. And that's what we did. And when they when people know they're empowered to do that, that's when they do their best. When we, did the, we did the same thing with all our volunteer chairs. We just handed them the con and said, you do the right thing. You have You have our support if you have a problem come ask us and we'll solve it. And, you know, dealing with 550 volunteers, dealing with the parking, credentials, uh, evacuation, all the different uh, committees, everybody is in charge. And we've just cre- we created this sort of a flat organization structure where everybody's uh, empowered and allows us, Mike, just to go around and spend time with the players and the families sure and have fun. fun. <laughs> you know, I, every, like, yeah, and, and that's and every time I see you guys, you're basically, you know, yes, you have that title of co-chair and, and you would think that, okay, they're having meetings all day and they're checking. You guys are basically just being hosts. You're greeting players. You know, Kevin, you're greeting players as they're coming in. You're on the first tee shaking hands. Mike, I really don't know what you're doing. And no, I'm just kidding. Mike, no, he's doing the same the thing. Truth. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin's been asking, what are you doing? As I'm very he's busy. doing everything I'm so I can busy. do that. <laughs> Mike is driving around in a, in a golf cart with no top and a convertible with the shades on and just the, you know, 007 of Ridgewood. I mean, it's. Mike and I are the yin and yang. And we have, a, we just laugh most of the time. So it's you know what so we did? Simple. You know what we did though, Ben, that uh, really resonated with people in our, and the future site chairs and those people who have been here you know oh, cherry yeah. hills next yeah. year you've got uh hazeltine you've got olympic yeah. you've got the marion people here and as you mentioned we sat out there friday and saturday during registration and we welcomed in players and so and i had a, a 500 cards made up as kevin said where'd you get that email address for i made it up for this so i have an email account just for this so you have, you have business cards with your name on it and an email address that is just for the USA. Yeah, and people. myself in case they want to text. Right. Well, part, part of what drove that is the USGA is making a concerted effort to focus on players. They're taking somebody as talented as Robbie Zalznak, who has a long tradition of focusing on players and elevating that. And we just want to partner with them. We think we trust their judgment. They're very they're very good at this. In fact, nobody's better at it. So we want to be um, 
you know, a great partner for them. So sure. we thought if we'd rolled out the red carpet, we'd, we're all in this together. It'll create a great champion. So, and we asked everybody, you know, where you're from, bump, bump, bump. And then Kevin and I started to kind of play a game because I've been fortunate enough for a non-golfer to play a lot of golf around the world. And like Kinko came in and I go, where are you from? He goes, uh, Lisbon. He goes, oh, I've been to Lisbon a few times. I played golf in Portugal. He goes, no. I go, oh, yeah, Algarve, Otavish Dunes. I go, where'd you play? He goes, where do you play? My home course is Penelope. Oh, right next to the racetrack. He goes, yes. <laughs> Kevin goes, you know, it's next to the racetrack. Of course, it makes a lot of noise. And then he get we get the guy from, from Malmo, Sweden, right? Here you go, Townsend. Yeah. And yeah. I said, oh, I've played like seven or eight courses. I've been over the Malmo Bridge. He goes, no. I go, oh, yeah, Fausta Bro, PJ Sweden, Bro Huff's Lot. And I go on and on. He goes, the sand, the hills, Vassertorp. And we're laughing. He tried to stump me, though. We had the one young man from Belgium. And he... Chassart? Adrian Chassart? Yes. And so uh, he goes, gotcha this time. I go, what? He goes, Belgium. I go, Royal Zoot, Harry Colt course oh out in West Knock. He goes, oh, yeah, I live like an hour from there. And we just laughed the whole time. And then what we would do was really cool. We brought the kids in, especially for the first timers. You know, they're nervous and they're with their parents. Their parents are on edge. And so we hand the kids off to uh, Joanne Naylor. Oh, Joanne and Febby and Cheryl Moore and Dawn. And they escorted them down. And then we would take the families and said, you know what? They got a lot of signing to do. Come on, let's give you a tour of the clubhouse. And we brought every mom over to the upper players locker. And you saw those banners hanging there, taking pictures. And then we would drop them back off around the end. It was almost like a Disney exit. And their, their <laughs> son's almost done. I go, all right, here's your son. And we'd do With all their one. swag with big yeah. smiles on their faces. It was a hoot. It was yeah. a lot of fun. And a lot of fun. Such a, and then I'm, so glad you brought, I'm so glad you brought up that story. It's such a, a little thing that makes a massive, massive difference as their start to this championship because you're 100% right. You have 312 players. Not every player is is a Stuart Hagestad or an right. Austin Green. You know, can you give me a story of either one of you, a story about one of the 312 that came up to you or, um, you know, it really hit home of like, wow, this, this guy, I, I changed his experience. I changed his experience at the U.S. Amateur. One of, one of the... Uh, players Brett Patterson. Okay. He reached out and sent an email uh, to us, and uh, he said the following: "This is Brett Patterson. I had the pleasure of meeting you on Sunday morning prior to my practice round at Ridgewood in preparation for the U.S. Amateur. I just wanted to express a sincere thank you from a player's perspective, and how generous you and all the members were at Ridgewood throughout the week. I've had the fortune of playing in five U.S. Amateurs now." And the welcome we received from the entire membership of Ridgewood was far and away the most welcoming of all the prior venues I had visited. I understand it is a tremendous undertaking for any club to conduct such a large championship. So I very much appreciate you and the entire membership for allowing us to compete there this week. He finishes up by saying, thank you so much for hosting us and introducing yourself to me and my father on Sunday morning, we cherish every chance we get to compete in these championships and your generosity meant a lot to us. That's so better, better to use their words than ours. That's, I mean, that says, and we've right. gotten a lot of them and, uh, people with so much experience playing in multiple championships from, you know, Charlie Waddell, a Stuart Hagestad vets yeah. to the youngest guys who is their first championship. And one of the things that, uh, we're doing when, when a player comes off and they're, 
their head's a little low. We, we always tell them head high. We all worked hard for this. Your parents have invested heavily, you both spiritually and financially. It's a long journey. And one of the things we've also worked really hard on is kind of creating perspective because you want the Havermeyer Trophy so badly, only one gets it. Yeah. And so what we've talked about is the link to the past. And we've hosted um, the players from the 1974 USM. And you know about that project. But one of the things we've learned, and I've told these guys with their families when they're off and they're upset, I said, this is going to shape your life. Two men walked down this fairway when they were your age. One's the chairman of Augusta National. The other one's the president of USGA. We have one of the most accomplished pilots in the history of the United States aviation was here today. Um, a Nobel Prize winner, um, the most authoritative historian on the Olympics. They all played in the 1974 amateur. This is going to change your life in golf, but more importantly, as a human being and as a parent someday and uh, savor it. No, it's it, you talked about the history here. I mean, many people may not know 1935 Ryder Cup was contested here, and I was fortunate to I can't remember what day, but went upstairs and saw the little dorm rooms up above the clubhouse where some of the players stayed. Uh, I mean, they look they're no bigger than a closet, and that's where they stayed to play the 1935 Ryder Cup. You've had a U.S. Senior Open here, you've had a U.S. Girls Junior here. Um, when does the conversation start, or when did it start, between Ridgewood and the USGA for the potential of a U.S. Amateur being hosted here? I don't know if many people would understand how that process starts. It's obviously much bigger conversation conversation than just the golf course. When did that kind of uh, start to become a reality? Well, we Ridgewood has a, a incredibly rich tradition in golf and championship golf. Going back to Byron Nelson, the 1935 Ryder Cup. I mean, Byron Nelson has the most coveted thing for any golfer and the United States Golf Association. He's a winner of the Bob Jones Award. That's the highest honor you can get from the United States Golf Association. He also has the highest award of any American, which is the Congressional Medal of Honor. Yes. I, I, I stand corrected. You'll have to edit that. He won, he won the Congressional Gold Medal. Yep. Um, more importantly, he also obviously has won USGA championships and played in the 1935 Ryder Cup. Um, Kathy Whitworth won here. She's the winningest professional in LPGA history and a member of the Golf Hall of Fame. The list is, is long between Hunter Mahan, who was won a U.S. Junior and was a runner-up in the U.S. Am. Matt Kuchar won a U.S. Amateur. Mike Bryson, Bryson DeChavon has won um, USAM and a US Open. We have really rich connections to USGA and and golf at the PGA level, etc. But the conversation uh, really came out of the US uh, Girls Junior. We had a, a really fun experience with that and it created a lot of awareness amongst our members. And frankly, it was Mike's first inkling into this can be really fun too. And he's not a fun guy. Not right. He's usually guy. not fun. But <laughs> anyway, that, w that was a big success. And the USGA, I think, saw our members' enthusiasm, our staff skill. And we're, we're an unusual club in that we have a championship golf course, but we're a country club. And for the Raiders out there, if you step back, and Mike and I love to talk about golf course architecture all around the world. When you 
when you talk about a country club where we have kids squealing in the pool, people playing tennis. Oh yeah. You know, and, and to have a, this golf course, this incredible golf course attached to that is frankly our strategic advantage. <laughs> right. Cause courses aren't at country clubs. Typically they're not designed for major championships. They're designed to cater to members that of all skill levels so they can comfortably get around the golf course. And right. Right. But Tillinghast did an incredible job here because, you know, we have members that play from 5,000 yards and we have, we have players here today that are playing from up to 7450, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Obviously uh, there is a partnership here at the U S amateur with your neighbors over at Arcola. They're the stroke play companion. You know, I remember last year at Oakmont, um, you know, Longview, tremendous golf course that was a stroke play companion, but it did seem too, separate golf courses architecturally they didn't have a consistent layout to each other i don't know how you compare something to oakmont so that was really a tough challenge to begin with but it just seems that oak that um it just seems that ridgewood and arcola are so perfectly matched to each other and the and the level of enjoyment there mirrors exactly what everyone's getting at ridgewood it's like you're just going five minutes down the street and it's the same experience. Can you just speak to the relationship between Arcola and Ridgewood? Yes, the relationship has really, we've really bonded as two clubs yeah. over this. You know, Arcola has a great golf playing membership. They have, you know, Morgan Hoffman grew up playing there. Jimmy Craffy was on their committee, played in the 79 U.S. Amateur. He played in 1981 U.S. Amateur. He was college roommates with Nathaniel Crosby. At University of Miami. And so, and you have the McBrides there. And Mike McBride was key at National having the Walker Cup over there several years ago. He was the host chairman. Uh, And they they get golf. They had two players that played at Oakmont. Yeah. Uh, Trevor. Very high Trevor Randolph. And uh, And they're a golf club. Right. And they're a golf club. Yeah. So they get it. And so, you know, this was really a great opportunity for the two clubs. And as you said, I mean, it's, I happen to live between the two clubs and it's 725 yards for me to walk here. I found out during Sandy when the power went out Okay, uh, and I'm closer to Arcola. Although for some reason they put a fence up to keep me out. I'm not so happy about that. <laughs> anyway, the, um, they've loved it. We've loved it. We've included Kevin and I just included them. We're, we're, we're all part of the same team. We're we invite them. We invited them to everything. We did everything, and then Dave Reisner set up with Grant over at uh, Arcola, the head pro, um, and they just have this great uh, match play that goes on between two clubs all year long. We did it one year as a fundraiser, and we did it again this year. It'll keep going. Their staff has been remarkable Their too. They've great. bonded with ours between uh, Chad Chadwell's rock star, Lauren is wing wing woman. Yes, they've all been phenomenal. And Paul Dotty, I mean, my God, super. their turf conditions could have been better. Yeah, I mean, we're for, the two clubs are fortunate. These are two of the better superintendents in the Met area, and people look up to the two of them. So, pretty cool. I would be, I don't know how you put, excuse me, I don't know how you say what your highlight is so far, but um, the kickoff of this um, U.S. Amateur was when you welcome the players in on Friday with a barbecue and then the flagpole challenge. Now, 
the flagpole challenge, you'll have to tell the story of what, what the flagpole challenge is, but you know, we saw a little bit of it at the preview event. Um, Austin Greaser hit the flagpole that went viral. Second most video watched video in the history of USJ social media. I mean, that, <laughs> Who knew? And, and then, so that was at the preview event. I was so fortunate to be at the preview event. I've never seen anything like it. Um, yeah, that was just an incredible experience. Did you have some fun there? Oh my gosh. I had a Did you get lot. enough to eat? I had, that was the most. <laughs> the upstairs terrace at Ridgewood Country Club is so massive, and you had food stations set up with everything you could possibly think of. And the overwhelming sentiment I got from everyone was is this real? Like, what? This is the most unbelievable experience. So the flagpole challenge, I will uh, pivot to either one of you do. Uh, Mike, go ahead. So in 1935, uh, Byron Nelson's an assistant pro here at Ridgewood. The reason he's here as an assistant pro is because the pro, Jacobus, George Jacobus, George Jacobus, who was the first president of the PGA, and he brought, or rather uh, Byron Nelson came in, because he wanted to hone his swing under Jacobus. He had an eye for talent. Yes, exactly. So Byron then went on to win the Met Open while he was here. But as a caddy, he was, he, I mean, he was with some caddies on the patio one day and they bet him 55 cents that he couldn't hit the ball from the patio with a three iron to the flagpole, which is approximately 100 yards away. By the way, that was a lot of money in the Depression. Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. As as he said, and I ha- we have somewhere, because yeah. later on, years later, I think in the 90s, they got him to address that. And he said, oh, yes, that happened. He said, uh, I missed it on my first one, but on my second one, I hit a nice little tight draw. <laughs> I pinged that. I took the 55 cents, and I left. So, you know. It was so now every once in a while we have a flagpole challenge and then someone uh, let uh, Robbie Z know and he was like Z's like we got to do this yeah so we hats did off Todd's hit it multiple times yes Todd Todd on the, at the at the uh, preview Todd our super was the first one to hit it seven people hit it that night that's incredible you know and mark hill when he first got up there he said we're gonna be here all night next thing you know balls are pinging off this a little dig on reezy i haven't heard him hit it yet so ohio state one and yeah. state zero, zero. <laughs> i just remember and like here's a funny story i don't know if you guys know this so i'm there at the preview event and i'm standing just to the right of the the turf that you have there on the patio and greaser's about ready to hit and i got my iphone out and i'm thinking oh i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go instagram live and film this and get it. And all the people that follow the back of the range on Instagram, they'll be able to see the energy around here. And I got it set up and there's a guy over my shoulder. And it I, was Mark Hill. It was Mark. <laughs> and, Hill. Yeah. Mark, uh, Mark is the champion director at the USGA. And he said, this is a bad idea. We're never going to get to dinner. That's not who I'm talking about. There <laughs> okay. was a guy over my shoulder that true to what you're, you do here. We have fun at Ridgewood. He uh, was he was overserved throughout the day, and he's like, and he's say, I'll bet you twenty effing dollars that he can't. And I'm thinking, all right, we got to turn the Instagram live off right now. And sure enough, first ball, Austin Greaser ping hits it, goes nuts. Um, you do have the flagpole challenge again on Friday when you welcome the players in, and I think it was maybe the fifth or sixth player in. Luke Clanton hits it, Luke, yeah. and just such a 
very cool way to welcome yeah. everyone to a U.S. amateur, just like you were talking about with, with you know, getting just so you know, I was doing the tea announcing and I had to stop because we let one of the caddies take a cut at it and he oh, hit the rail and it I almost s- took my head off. I saw that too. And then Tommy Morrison topped the ball, <laughs> hit the curb and shot went over the roof. Almost took out an exec comm member. Okay. I saw that one too. Um, yeah. I mean, but just the fun here, it just does not, it doesn't get better than this. It's just such an incredible experience. Yeah. And it was, it was fun too, as you recall, over that weekend, the practice rounds, we had the music going. Oh, yeah. And, and it, it was just kids would come in from the practice round and it'd be a big party. Their parents and families are having a great time. They're hanging out the Adirondack chairs. They're all hanging out on the putting green, chatting, having a good time. And, Obviously, when Monday came, the music went down yeah, and yeah, everything we the music we said, off. all right, it's championship time. Let's yeah. get going. And then when, when cocktail hour hits, it, yeah. you know, get, get right. it going again. Um, so Augusta National has a man corner. Troon has the postage stamp. The old course has the road hole. Um, one of the unique aspects of Ridgewood is the five and dime, the 12th hole. I've seen players play it in all different fashions. Stuart Hagestead hit. A driver or three wood to about three feet for a conceded eagle during match play. And then I've seen players visit bunker to bunker. You knew, you know, the, the, the five and dime very, very well. Um, maybe explain if you can, what you were anticipating some of these players and how they might handle it and what you've seen. Well, the, the, week. The, the middle part of the, the first three holes start out fairly benign on a relative basis. Right. They are, they have out of bounds, but the middle of this golf course is a stern test of golf and you know mike's an architecture guy more than me but the five and dimes i guess the kind of a capstone so 12 the five and dimes named because our same guy byron nelson he used to play it with a five iron and a 10 iron which was a pitching wedge back then sure uh but ben you're right what's the magic of that hole is that for 285 yards that has an unlimited number of ways to go play the hole. And it's interesting because match play presents different questions, as you know, because now, and it's the 12th hole, so it's a little bit later, and you have to look and say, what is my opponent doing? And what is my, is my, is my opponent laid up? Do I go for it? Mm-hmm. Because it's a true risk reward. Yeah. You, you could get your eagle and you can get a six in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Because if yeah. you miss right and you're in that thick rough and you throw it up into the front bunker, which then goes into the back bunker, which comes back to the front bunker, because you saw everybody who missed left couldn't keep it on the green. What I've kind of seen is people, if they go for it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like if they go for it and they miss left, they are basically saying, I'm going to be just trying to get up and down for par because I can't hold the green and I'm just going to go for that little, the, the rough that guards against yes. the bunker. That, and, and Stuart, yes. Stuart Hagestad said that yesterday and okay. he made Eagle the day before, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like you're kissing. All right. Birdie is <laughs> off the table. Get it on to the, the, the front right side and then go back up the hill. Yeah. Right. And that's the whole during, um, I guess the last Northern trust that we had here. In the first round of FedEx Cup, uh, Phil Mickelson twice hit it up into the beer garden up there. Right, right. And he played it from the beer garden. And the first day he made five. Uh, the second day was apparently a little bit more experienced on Sunday, and he made his par. But the reason he hit it from there is because in a practice round, he saw Ryan Moore hit it up there and take a drop, but he dropped it in in high fescue three feet and had no shot. And so Phil knew I'm better off staying in the beer garden uh-huh. and hitting from there. 
Yeah. So. No, it, it's it's really one of the and there's a lot of gallery around that hall. I mean, there's oh, yeah. people that following matches step every step of the way. Mm-hmm. That's the place you want to hang. That's oh, a, yeah. that's and, an iconic yeah part place in golf and uh, everybody in, in our folklore. Uh, just as from an architecture standpoint, yeah. I tell you an uh, interesting story perhaps, but Tillinghast initially wanted to put that green further up the hill where that little uh, bathroom is, if you remember, yeah. up to the left. I have no clue how someone with hickories was going to get there, right? but um, he ultimately decided to keep it where it was. And it is, uh, you know, golf came out with its 500 greatest holes in the world maybe 20 years ago, and that was one of them. It's smallest green in championship golf. Yeah. I love, and I love how it's, I like how it's in the middle of their round. I think, I I think it is relevant in every match. I think on six, if it's the 16th hole, 17th hole, and if you're leading, it's five iron or six. Right. Exactly. Right. I love how it's right in the middle. Well, Ben Kimball, um, you know, who's, just a great friend, great partner for us. He he just loves it because one of the sort of criteria, if you will, qualities that the USGA looks for in a champion is their ability to think. Yeah. And my goodness, that's a that whole requires a lot of thought. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys expect out of the best players in the world coming here? And I'll just give you my brief brief thoughts. When I first saw Ridgewood playing in the preview event, I was looking at the, the the first thing I notice is this rough is just it's very challenging. You must be in the fairway. And at seventy four hundred yards, you have to have some length. You have to hit it far. I had a, a an idea of who I thought would make it to the quarters, the semis, ultimately in the finals. I thought of bombers. I thought of guys that really if you have a uh, a Thorbjornsson, a greaser, a Vic, a sergeant, those are just four of of a handful of many, many that I thought Okay, if they can be on their game with their driver and really get hit fairways, they could really go deep in this field. We've we have four semifinalists today that I do not think are bombers. They have nice length, but they're not prototypical bombers. So I was proven a little bit wrong, and obviously match play has a huge impact on that. What were your thoughts, maybe leading into the championship? What you might see at Ridgewood. Well, it's interesting. I had the, the pleasure of being involved uh, with Spider Miller, um, who's a dear friend of mine, at the Walker Cup at Royal Lytham, where I first got to know Bryson. And Bryson was friends with one of the players here in the field, and he called him for some advice, and Bryson was encouraging him to just bomb it. And I kind of thought to myself, that might not be the best advice for this championship, because when Bryson won here, the rough wasn't anywhere near where it is uh, today. Sure. Um, so it, this is a really stern test of golf. We're going to identify the best player in the world this week. I'm sure of it. Yeah, I think what I've heard from the players, Ben, and as you know, we spoke to quite a number of them, is that it was constant demand. Yeah. Every hole. There was no breather hole. You had to hit every shot every time. And I think that wore... On a, on a few of the guys where it was just a constant. And if you were off on your driver, I mean, it, it just became arduous. And we saw a couple of noted play, notable players who unfortunately just didn't have their A driver game. Yeah. And it, it was just too much to be able to get back from that. I think the other thing, too, is that um, 
we've had remarkably dry weather here, hot spell. Our greens are incredible. And Ben Kimball and Todd and the team, uh, the Adam Mullers and USJ, they've all worked together to present these kind of conditions. Our greens are firm and it's very, very difficult to hold them if you're in the rough too. So th- these players are holding on like an 18-wheeler on ice uh-huh. for a lot of these yeah, holes. And I think even th- there was one match, and um, I think it was Townsend who was came into 18-1-up, and the young man, Shea Lagoo, hit the tree with his second shot. Yep. And Fred and I were in the card at the time, and Fred said, well, this isn't looking good. You know, he's up there in two. And I said, well, that, you know what Yogi used to say? <laughs> and I said, but where Townsend was, was on the other side of a ridge. In the green. On the green, but on the other side of a ridge. And I noticed throughout the week, especially in that with the pressure, you know, you really had to be pretty gutsy to drop the ball just over the ridge. So it would trickle down because the more you went up, the more speed it was going to pick and the further away it was going to go. Sure. And he and he just didn't hit it far enough and it swung far to the left. And then he wound up losing on the first playoff hole. Yeah. And um, and that was a real example of Ridgewood's greens where, you know, you really needed to have the con- the courage to do something that if you were short would make you look kind of silly. Yeah. It's got to be such a thrill for you guys to be here watching this. You play this course all the time. You're here and just being able to see the, just the entire operation and see the best players in the world come here and like, oh, that's, I see how they're playing that hole. I, I remember when I had that experience on that hole and you're, I mean, you're getting to see all these well, different. It's also too that Mike and I were, were um, we were really honored and uh, humbled to serve on, on the board of directors. And we both were um, honored with being Greens chairman and working with our team. So we have a pretty um, detailed knowledge of the golf course, having partnered with Gil, and to see it all come to fruition, um, years of a generation of master plan, and all seeing that investment that so many others before us made to get us to this point, you know, puts us in a pretty humbled uh, position. Yeah, I mean, we were pretty confident that it would hold up based upon all the tournaments and championships we've had running up to here. So, you know, we've had the pros here, whatever, four times, and and you've had other tournaments. And so, you know it's going to hold up just a function of the setup. Right. Yeah. So, it's whatever Ben does, and, you know, and you get like Ben Kimball do his job. And uh, it looked like a pretty tough examination to me out there. <laughs> I, I mean, I played at the preview, and I was like, this is going to be a challenge for these guys. And the preview, the rough was three inches yeah well there were some holes where i would i'd miss a fairway by just you know three or four yards and i got you know 201 or 186 and i'm just like what do you cut do? seven iron for you well pretty much yeah okay. i just thought yeah, so. maybe a chip eight you know something like that but i'm like and, and but the short game these guys have to just rely on their short games extensively and when they're missing fairways so yeah and i think what happens at ridgewood is as you noticed greens are sloped and so it, Chipping from the wrong side. Oh gosh, forget it. Yeah, forget it. Yeah, if you're if and you you're, can't get the spin that you want with the rough or the yeah. control, and yeah. it just 
This course requires a certain amount of humility too. There are holes like number 10, which make players uncomfortable. Yep. And sometimes, you know, everyone thinks about hitting greens in regulation. There's times when you, you, you're better off just getting it to the front of the green, getting out of dodge with a par and moving on to the next one. So I hosted two kids and, um, one of them tripled 10 and just missed a cut to get into match play. And we were talking afterwards. I took him and his father out to dinner, my wife, Mary and I, and we were chatting and he goes, what's the deal with 10? And I said, well, first of all, he said, Ben Kibble wanted, um, you know, the players have one hole where they feel uncomfortable. He goes, well, he succeeded. <laughs> he goes, and one hole, I was uncomfortable on most holes. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, it's funny is they, Ben set it to play one tee box back from where the pros played it. So these kids had like 200 in to a blind tee shot to the second shortest, smallest green. And I said, you know, said, you know, what we do when we play it, because we can't reach it from our tees, is we just lay up to the left. And now you've taken the worst you make is bogey. And he's probably thinking, go ahead. Exactly that. Then he goes, (laughs) I really should have done that. Why did you tell me that? A little bit of humility goes a long way. And that's to Ben's point about he wants people, you know, look, you need to have an athlete. You need to have someone with a great swing. You need somebody who can putt and read greens. But you need to think your way around here. You can't pound it and get away with it. You you might go reasonably far, but you're not going to hold the Havermeyer Trophy. And I think that's why you see the four players that you see in the semifinals because, you know, they they had the strategy and they, they took it into account. And four really gritty, gritty players. Yeah, they're thinkers too. Oh, yeah. You can just see it. You, you know, they're, they're thinking their way around it. They're asking a lot of questions and they're doing their homework. Guys, we're just a handful of hours away from the semifinals this afternoon. Um, obviously, this episode is being released after the champion will be crowned. You mentioned everything uh, that you want out of this U.S. Amateur and primarily after safety is to have fun. So you two are probably the most fun guys I think I've run into here at Ridgewood. In my experience here at the U.S. Amateur, how to how do the, uh, the chairman of fun spend their next uh, day and a half as this U.S. Amateur comes to a close? Well, I walked in this morning. And as I started to see people, I started clapping my hands, said, all right, people, let's finish strong. Let's have a great time. This is going to be a lot of fun. And as I've been teasing them since Monday, it's almost over. Well, now it's really almost over because yeah. it goes in a heartbeat. You, you spend all this time, years of preparation to this, and then all of a sudden, the blink of an eye, just like life, boom, it's gone. So uh, we're looking to have, have a great time with everyone, make sure all the players, their families, spectators, members all have a fabulous experience. For many of these kids and the families, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and we want them always to remember it fondly. Yeah, the, somebody told me, uh, do you live by your own advice? And my advice to the players has been savor it. So Mike and I are going to savor it and uh, express gratitude. And, uh, you know, when people ask about what next, we're going to say, you just savor it. Have fun. What is the one thing you don't want to miss over the next day and a half? You're the, as I said, you're, you're, you're co-chairman. You can be any place you want to be in the, in the next day and a half. You could be at any hole. You could be in any room. You could be, I mean, what is, what's the can't miss thing for you guys? Well, for me, it's being with, um, 
the army of people that have made this possible. Mike and I are just riding along for fun. There's a big army behind us who have all given a lot of their time and energy to this. So we want to party with them. And uh, for me, uh, you know, I've had this debt of gratitude that's impossible to repay for what the club did for my brothers and I in our life. And uh, I'd love to, in Kennedy's words, pass the torch to a new generation. Mike and I are only caretakers uh, and we want to, we want to give it to the next generation of uh, great young members that we have here. And, you know, I've, um, during my career, I had the opportunity to testify in court many times as an expert witness. Okay. And so I'm not afraid to answer a different question. So I'm going to answer a different question. I love it. Uh, yeah. One of the things that is important in a championship like this gives you a forum in a club like this, a country club is to raise the awareness for people. You know, my good friend uh, Jay Wright just retired uh, as head coach from Villanova. And Jay had what his, Jay Billis often say, the best culture in college basketball. And it was a designed culture. And one of the pillars to Jay Wright's culture was we play for those who came before us. All their players say at every interview, you know, I've talked to people to interview him, like Dave Feldman from ESPN, uh, who I'm friends with out at the Cal Club. And he goes, these kids say the same thing every time. He goes, they're like robots. He says, we play for the players who came before us. Well, what we need to make people do, and this is clubs across the country, is make everyone understand that we only have what we have today because of those who came before us. You know, this is the fourth location for Ridgewood. It almost failed a couple of times at the turn of the century in the 1900s. It had to get through World War One. It had to get through the Depression. It had to get through World War Two. This course in Clubhouse opened May of 29, six months before the Depression. Even though it dates two years before the foundation of the USGA itself. It's right? got a lot of history. The Garden State Parkway came through. They wanted to come through here. The community college wanted to take ground. As I said to one member about this and he said gee we're giving the course up for two weeks they said um, have, have you ever had guests here he goes all the time did you ever tell them that we had the 1935 Ryder Cup they go everyone I go how would you have liked it if back in 1935 the members said I don't feel like giving the course up for two weeks and he goes I didn't look at it that way hmm. I go here's another thing to look at if it wasn't for the people behind us see this beautiful overlook you got and your, this view he goes yeah this would be a housing development and so it's it's not about us our games and our tea time it's stewards handed it to us. We're now the stewards for the next generation. And now we have those of us who dyed their hair gray now have to get the generation behind us to understand that that's what they do going forward. Well, we're giving some, we're giving the young people a treasure and we just want them to polish it. Sorry, I didn't answer your question. Uh, you, I don't <laughs> care what you just said was moving. That, well, why do I even need to be Talk here amongst right? yourselves. I, yeah, why am I even here, Kevin? Why are we even here? Just, I'm for Clemped. Talk right, amongst let's, yourself. Let's just plug plug the mic in and leave. Now, um, guys, I, I want to get you out there so you can enjoy as much of this championship as possible before the trophy is handed out to the eventual champion. I can't thank you both enough for your hospitality and the experience of being here. And... Um, Again, thank you so much for being here at the back of the range. Awesome. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ben. Stop You're the best. Anytime. And there you have it. Special thanks to Kevin Shea, Mike Policano, and all the great people at Ridgewood and Arcola. 
The USAM was a special week. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything you need to listen to every single episode and to follow The Back of the Range. You can find it there on the website, thebackoftherange.com. And we'll see you next time here at The Back of the Range.